Good morning. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we will begin our Christmas celebration, uh, our Christmas theme messages and, and sermons uh, throughout December. Uh, we have a resource available this morning. Um, Paul Tripp uh, this year came out with a, uh, an, an Advent devotional throughout December. Um, it's called Come Let Us Adore Him. Uh, that's, uh, there, I think there's eight or nine left out there. Uh, and so that'd be a great way for your family, along with what we're doing in the uh, in the services on Sunday, to kind of make sure that you don't, with all the shopping and wrapping and all the things you've got to do, that you don't miss uh, your time of adoring Christ and, and Him coming. And those are available for $10. We don't make any money. In fact, I rounded down to $10 uh, to make it good and even. And so that's a, a great resource that's available uh, as we move into uh, the Christmas season but this morning uh, we're finishing up Philippians Uh, so we'll be in Philippians chapter 4 reading verses 10 through 20. This morning we want to look at generosity and contentment in the life of the Christian we see these these two themes are hit on and and Paul gives us instruction as he talks about the generosity of this church of, uh, in Philippi that has been so good to him. And at the same time, he talked, talks about his contentment. So verse 10 says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help uh, for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. And what we have here is is Paul is... It's it's almost being tacky if we just kind of did a surface look at it because it's almost like, say when Christmas rolls around, you open up your gift and it's a sweater. And you say, well, thank you for the thought, but I didn't really need this sweater because I have Christ. Um, And and that's a little bit kind of, if we're not careful, that's what it looks like Paul's doing. Thanks for the gift. I didn't really need it because I'm content in Christ, but thanks anyway. But we see, if we read carefully, we know that Paul is really threading the needle here of very much recognizing the gift, okay, recognizing the gift that, that this church has given him 
and it appears it's a very generous, a very good gift. And so he wants to recognize, hey, thank you so much for that gift. But he also wants to let them know, but hey, man, I'm not doing this for the gift. I'm, I, I don't have to have the gift because I have Christ. And, and we know that in the book of Philippians, he's been really talking about, it's not about me, it's about the gospel's advancement and, and all of these type things. And Paul was very careful uh, with, with how he received money. He was. He, even though he taught at times that, hey, look, it's, it's, it's good for churches to take care of pastors, but in his role as more of a church planner of going into places and, and uh, reaching people and starting churches, he just chose to live a life where he just wasn't all that dependent. I mean, even, even though he, he was such a gospel warrior, at the same time he was a bivocational pastor that made tents for a living. And so he just wanted to be very careful that, hey, I thank you for the gift, but it's not about me having what I need because I have all I need in Christ. And so that's what we want to look at this morning is first, we really want to uh, look at the, the, the things of, uh, that Paul speaks of, of the generosity of this gift. We want to see Paul's thankfulness for the generosity of the Philippian church. First, he's thankful that the Philippians looked for an opportunity to give. He says, now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so Paul's not saying, hey, y'all forgot about me, and now I'm glad you're thinking about me again. No, he's saying, hey, there, you know, you've always been concerned about me, but this time in prison has given you an opportunity to, to love on me and to, to support me, and I appreciate that. And that's really what we as Christians are supposed to do, right? We're supposed to look for opportunities to serve one another. Look, when we covenant together as, as a church, in this group of people, we may have seasons where, man, not much is going on, and, and hey, we're all just going, going along, living our lives, but tragedy's going to happen. Okay? People in our lives are going to die, and we're going to need people to come alongside us and love on us and care for us during those times. There are going to be times where, in, in uh, changing job markets, where, where, where a, a church member is going to lose a job. Well, what we do in that moment is we say that is an opportunity for us to love on them, to support that family through this time of need. And so that is, that is what this church is doing for Paul, and Paul acknowledges Hey, you, 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 you look for an opportunity and you found it, and I appreciate that. And that's what we as Christians should all seek to do, is to look for opportunities to serve one another. He's thankful that the Philippians were willing to share in trouble. He says in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Y'all, when we love one another as Christians, when we care for one another, your problems are not just your problems, your problems are my problems. Your need is my need and my opportunity to fulfill that need. You're not going to carry your burdens alone. That's one of the many reasons God put us in community together to serve and follow Him because there's going to be times where we need one another and in those moments when we have trouble we share i love the thought that that for christians uh when it comes to trouble 
because we have others, that burden is split in half. And when we have joys, that burden is, uh, that those joys are multiplied because we celebrate with one another. He's also, he's also thankful for a long-standing relationship of giving. Verses 15 and 16, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help uh, for my needs once and again. And so Paul's saying, look, this isn't just the only opportunity you've looked and found to serve me. You've, we've had a long-standing relationship, and I'm thankful for that. You know, our church is, is, has taken more of a, a personal involvement in missions over the last over, a little bit over a decade. Uh, we tend to take lots of mission trips. And y'all, there's a reason we don't come every year and be like, hey, the new destination this year is Hawaii. And the, the, the uh, destination the next year is, is this country or this state. And, and we're just going to every, every year come with this fresh destination because we feel like the gospel works best and, 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 and gains ground best when we enter into long-standing relationships with people. So we, we do take long-term mission trips, but they are, have long-term goals. So that's why we do that. That's why we tend to keep heading to the same places. We, headed, we went to Espavel for years in Nicaragua, and then they planted a church, so now we head to the church where they planted. And so there's been times when we've changed our destination, but always because of those long-standing relationships. And we would point to missionaries that we get to go back and, and serve, and we know them, and we know how faithful they're being. And, and so Paul is saying here, man, there's value in that. There's value in and not, not looking for somebody every week to send your money to or looking for somebody to pray for. We do want to pray broadly for missions, but there's also a lot to be said for continuing in a relationship with certain people, long-term relationships. He says also that he's thankful for the spiritual fruit that would come through the gift. He says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is not primarily thankful, although he is thankful. We're going to see uh, at the end here that he says, hey man, my needs are mad and more. Thank you for this uh, generous gift. And so he's thankful for the gift, but he's mostly thankful for what's happening in their spiritual lives because they gave the gift. Right? Like he is more concerned about the benefit that they're getting spiritually than the needs that are being met in his own life. Folks, that is the true nature of giving, is that, that, y'all, when we hoard our money, when we hoard our time and our resources on this earth, y'all, it's as secure as a college football coach's job. But when we give, when we pour into the kingdom, what we do is we transition those, that credit, as Paul says here, increasing to your credit. We, we transition that credit from this earth 
to the kingdom of God and an eternal reward and eternal enjoyment of those gifts where, as the Bible says, thieves cannot break in and steal, where moths cannot destroy and rust. And Paul says, man, I appreciate the gift, but man, I'm, what I'm most thankful for is that in your giving of this, you are being blessed in your spiritual walks with Christ. And that's the most important thing. It's not... It's not just the benefit of our gift to others. It's the benefit of our gift um, in our own spiritual walk. And he's, he's thankful here for a generous God. I love what he says in verses 18 through 20. He says, I've received full, full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in, in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love this. He says, hey, you've supplied my needs and more. And guess what? God is going to supply your needs. And he's going to do it according to the rich to his riches and the glory of Christ Jesus. What a great promise. What an amazing promise that that's our line of credit. Okay? You look at your credit card. Okay, if you have a credit card, you get a line of credit. And there's a number there that you can't spend past. Well, what Paul says here is our line of credit is the glory of Christ. That there is no amount of withdrawal on our part for kingdom work and for our life that we need to serve Christ, there's no, there's no exhausting that. Our line of credit is the glory of Christ. It's what riches that God desires to give us through Christ. Paul had come to realize this. That's why he was able to be Paul. That's why he was able to just do and we're talking about this in a minute just do amazing things for God without really any thinking about himself because he knew that he had a God that was going to give him all the more than he ever put in so now let's look at Paul's testimony of contentment that comes through Christ that what we as Christians can learn about contentment here from Paul Paul had, had learned contentment and plenty. Here's some words he uses. He says, I've, I've abounded. I've had plenty. He said, I've had an abundance. Paul says, I've known comfort. He has had times when he not only had what he needed, he had more than what he needed. But the odd thing here is that Paul seems to be talking about contentment in the context of having more than you need. And we tend to not think of contentment that way. We tend to think of contentment only in times when I don't have enough or when I barely have enough. But the Scriptures tell us that there is actually great, great danger in the time of plenty, and that is that we'll rest in the stuff. 
that will rest in the comfort of things of having plenty instead of resting in God. Look at the warning given to Israel in Deuteronomy 6.10. It says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you ate, uh, and when you eat and are full. Okay, so stopping there for a moment. I mean, what you would think the next the next line would be, "Hey, you'll draw close to me, right? I'm gonna just give you all this stuff. You get all this stuff that you didn't put any work in for." And so you would think the next phrase is going to be, and you're just going to be drawn close to me in my goodness. But no, he says, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We know that this was the pattern, right? Israel would, would get things right and God would reward them. And what would they do? They would forget him and they would rebel against him. And then God would bring them judgment. And then he would bring them goodness and their repentance. And then they would forget about him. It is our tendency and the plenty and the goodness uh, of God's blessings to forget about him. Because we're sinners and we're horrible. Proverbs 30 tells us of this danger as well. Uh, in verse 8, the, song, the, the, the writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is need for, needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. So the, the Scriptures are clear that there is a danger in having abundance. And folks, let me tell you something. Everyone in this room has abundance. You may not feel like you have an abundance, but in the worldwide, okay, if you bring in the worldwide population, it takes $10,000 a year to be in, in middle class. I feel like we're all at least to that point. And so we all in America live in this absolute danger of being comfortable in our plenty and forgetting God. And it's not that having plenty is bad, it's, it's that it can be if it takes our passion from God. This subject always makes me think about A.W. Tozer. And he was writing of, uh, of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And he talked about how he put Isaac on that altar and was about to take his life. And he was talking about what, what Abraham learned. And that finally, because Abraham was a man that had everything, he had a lot of stuff. He said what, what Tozer, Tozer said, what he learned is that he, he had everything, but he possessed nothing. There's the spiritual secret. It's what Tozer calls the spiritual secret that Abraham learned, that he possessed that he owned, uh, that he had many things. He had everything, but he possessed nothing. And that's our, that's our secret that we must live in. And it's the, it is the spiritual secret that Paul seems to have figured out. 
as we will see in a moment, Paul was a man that endured great suffering as well. Great suffering. And he realizes the danger of coming out of that suffering into a season of plenty that it might be easy to just say, hey, this plenty is really nice. I don't want to go back out into the suffering. I've got a, one of my best friends is a missionary. Uh, and he's told me before of, of just how hard it is to bring his family to the States because the, it's so easy here. Like, not, there are no lines. And there are, they're just, it's just an easy way of living. And you're here for a month or two on furlough. And he said, it, it's hard for me to pull my kids back out of that and, and, and say, hey, we got to go back because we need to go do the work of Christ. It is so easy to just rest in the plenty. And Paul said, don't do that. You've got to be content. Even if you have plenty, you need to realize that, hey, it's Christ. It's Christ. It's about Christ. It's not about me being comfortable. Paul and, and my missionary friend, they gladly walk out of the plenty back to the suffering for Christ. And we should all be willing to do that. Paul had also learned contentment in little. It says here, uses words like he's been brought low, he's had hunger, he's had time of need. Boy, did Paul know what suffering was. This, this letter, after all, is not being written while he's drinking wine and eating chocolate, right? He's writing this from prison where his, his freedom has been taken away. And yet he's finding absolute contentment. We see in Philippians a letter written by a man that's just fine with where he is. And he's just continuing to love Christ and love others. 2 Corinthians 11 really lays out for us a lot of Paul's suffering. It says in, 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 uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, countless beatings. Okay, he's endured countless beatings. Five times he's received 39 lashings. Five times, 39 lashings. Three times he's been beaten with wooden rods. He was once stoned and left for dead. He's been shipwrecked three times. Shipwrecked. Like, one, like that's difficult to... And, and amazing, just horrible just to be in one shipwreck. He's been in three. And he says that I've been in dangers in every setting imaginable. But he has found contentment even in those moments. Not only is he content, he has trained himself to look in those moments and help those moments to train him and grow his heart for Christ. In those moments, instead of self-pity, he thinks about Heaven's going to be awesome. I can't wait to go be with Christ. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So it's not that he's just okay within his suffering. He says, I'm thankful for my suffering because it points me to Christ. It grows my affections for Christ. 
in verse 14, he tells us what is the secret. What's the secret to having contentment? It's found through Christ. He says in verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, that's a favorite sports verse, right? That's about making the touchdown, making the soccer goal, uh, getting a personal best in a 5K. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, athletes want to sign their signature with, uh, with that verse. There's a lot worse things they can put down. We need to realize, though, that, that that's not really what this verse is really about in context. In context, it's about finding contentment in plenty and suffering. It's about, it's about if you do make the touchdown and you do win state, you, you still realize that Christ is all. That, that this, is, this is a momentary fleeting thing, but, but Christ is eternal. And that if you stop or stopped one yard shy of the touchdown, and, and you will go down in school history as the running back that, that couldn't get that extra yard, you still got Christ, though everyone else desert you. That's what this verse is about. It's not about, I can make this touchdown. His contentment was found in the value that he placed in Christ. So when the good stuff headed his way, he was no doubt thankful for a moment of rest, a moment of plenty, but it would never grab hold of his heart because he knew his treasure was was not of this world. His treasure was Christ and it, it put to shame any riches and glory, any plenty that he could enjoy on this earth. But when all of this good stuff was taken away, when he when he found himself with absolute nothing, he was content because they couldn't take away Christ. That he still had Christ. He still had the main thing. These verses, uh, the verse that we looked at a few weeks ago, goes a little deeper in this. Philippians 3, 7-11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, this, for His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. If you want to know the secret to contentment in a world that's, that's just like, man, it's like this. Highs and lows, highs and lows. How do we find a steady contentment that is to make Christ everything. To make Him far, far above your greatest life, your greatest love on this earth. That you put Him so high and He's so untouchable by the, by the ups and downs of this world that you, you have Him, that in the moment, the best moments of your life, hey, I've got Christ and that's the most important thing. This other stuff's great, but and I can enjoy it, but man, it's nothing compared to Him. And in the worst moment, hey, I have Christ. He's mine. And that is contentment. And this is what made Paul so untouchable in this world. Paul before a group of powerful men. And I've, I've said this before, but, but Paul 
before a group of powerful men. All right, Paul, we're going to leave you in jail. Okay, I'm going to just kind of keep writing letters and and preaching to the guards, and man, it'll be good. It'll be for God's glory. Well then, Paul, we're going to we're going to beat you. And Paul's response is, "Man, I, I love I'd love to bear some more marks on my body with the pleasure of suffering for Him and suffering for Christ." And the powers that be are like, "Oh, Paul, we're going to kill you." Well, for me to live is Christ, but man, to die is gain. So thank you for the gain. <sighs> Paul, Paul, we're just going to set you free. Well, I get to go preach, and I get to go visit all my churches. And they're just like, Paul, just leave, just, just go. You're untouchable. You know that is that is what if we would value Christ. We would be that untouchable. Circumstances never change Paul's hope because circumstances can never take away Christ. It is a joy, it is a hope that is absolutely secure. Contentment's not easy. It's not easy. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it's tough to be content. It's tough to not get caught up in the plenty. It's tough not to be overwhelmed when you have such need. This verse is about Christ, the hope that is within you, helping you walk through your very best days clinging to Christ and your very worst days clinging to Christ and, and having joy. Not always happy, but joyful. The Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs wrote a famous book, and it was called The the Jewel of Christian Contentment. I would ask you this morning, is is that a treasure that you're seeking in your life? Christian contentment. To to value Christ, to be as untouchable as Paul was. If we could sum up the book of Philippians, it would be this. Value Christ far above all things so that you may have an indestructible joy and a heart for others in a difficult world. May Christ supreme and put your own needs before the needs of or put others' needs before your own needs. That's what Philippians is all about. It's about it's about valuing Christ and then following in His footsteps of laying down your life for Him, laying down your life for others, not always demanding your rights, but doing exactly what Christ did and lay down your li- lay down your rights for the rights of others. That is what our call is. As Christians, that is a theme that runs throughout Philippians is that, that we will have joy in the midst of a... And the Philippians were had a difficult time. Battles within, battles without. And yet, Paul commands them time and time again to be joyful and to place Christ above all. And that's where contentment is found.
I would ask just a few questions this morning as we wrap up Philippians. First is, do you know Christ? Christ, God sent Christ into the world because we're sinners and we would rebelled against God's glory and yet God still loved us and desired to reconcile with us from our rebellion. And so we sent Christ into this world to live the life, the perfect life that none of us could live. And to die a death, a miserable, horrible death on the cross that we all deserved. And to receive the wrath of God that we all deserved. So that if we would know Him, if we would trust in Him as our Savior, we would receive His righteousness and therefore be right before God. And, and be someone that can value Christ above all and, and know that we have a God that is generous and is giving to us because we are in Christ. Do you know Him? Have you come to a point in your life where you have trusted Him for your salvation? Please do that this morning. I'd, I'll be down here in a few moments. I'd love to talk with you. There are people around you that would love to talk to you. And then to the Christian, I want to I want to just ask a couple of questions. I think that Paul challenges here in Philippians with, do you value Christ to the point that He gives you a steadiness in a tipsy-topsy uh, world, topsy-turvy world? Do you value Christ so much that you have contentment in the plenty and in the moments of need that you are content in Christ, that he, he gives you a steady hand, a steady life in the midst of a world that's always changing, that's always trying to make us fear. Maybe your affection for Christ could be grown. I think we could all say that, right? We could all just dwell on Christ a little more, make him a little bit more of our treasure, think on him, dwell on him a little more. Read the scriptures and learn more about him. And then I would say, Paul would also challenge us, challenge us from this letter. Do you, because of your love for Christ, seek to model him by placing others above yourself? Do you truly live a life that's unselfish? Because of following Christ's model of laying down his rights for the benefit of others. Are you someone that just always demands your way? With your spouse, are you got to have it your way or you hate them? With your kids, they've always got to act a certain way or you don't like them? With your coworkers, have to work a certain way or you don't like them or you don't want anything to do with them? Are you someone that, man, I love, that, that loves people because Christ loves people? Because Christ is worth following in that way. I'm going to ask you to please stand um, and just, however God has spoken to you in the book of Philippians, maybe spend some time reflecting on this book and this letter and how it applies to your own life and and respond however God's calling you to respond this morning.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you that when you are lifted up in a life like Paul's, God, in a life of any of us, that when you are lifted up, you provide joy, an indestructible, untouchable joy. God, help us to be people that value you, that, that grow in our affections of you every day that we what you did in Christ to give us an unending supply of goodness from you. And God, if there's anyone here who's not, who doesn't know you, who hasn't trusted you, who, who's living a joyless life in a hard world, God, I pray that they would respond to you this morning. God, help us to love others. Help us to love others the way Christ loved us. Jesus' name I pray. Amen.